Hello everyone and welcome to a very, very different kind of podcast today. Um, greetings from the Man Cave in Ulster. And even though I'm sadly without my, my podding partner, Mr McNulty, who's got pressing business with a T-Rex tribute band rehearsal tonight, good luck with that, Paul. Um, I am joined by the, the illustrious guests, uh, our, our good friends, Peter Wadsworth and, and Liam Newton. Welcome to Ulster. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having yes. us. Thank you. And um, I, full disclosure, we did have a little bit of a, a party last night um, prior to popping over to the Turk's Head fine establishment um, for a, a couple of sherries. Um, we did a little bit of listening, didn't we, to, to some of the tapes. And we've uh, got some treats for you folks today. Um, honestly, what we've heard so far, we've heard about four of uh, a huge pile of tapes and the, the results have been stunning, haven't they? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I did a little tester the other day uh, of a, a master tape recording of Dreadlock Holiday, which just blew my head off. It sounded so fantastic. Well, he looked down at my silver chain. He said, I'll give you one dollar. I said, you've got to be joking, man. It was a present from my mother. We'll share with you a bit later some really, really special things that we listened to very late last night. Uh, we've had a little bit too much to drink. We shouldn't really have done any, any tape uh, digitising at all in our state of inebriation, but I'm so glad we did. It was Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, brilliant. Treat. Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. So uh, it's great to have you here, chaps. Um, Peter, perhaps can, before we actually go through the individual tapes, can you explain why you've, you've come down here with a pile of, of these wonderful things? How did you get your hands on them? Well, it's built up over more than 20 years, probably 30 years now. So obviously I did the PhD on strawberry. And as part of that, I started collecting things together for the archive and what is what is a studio archive was a question I kept asking myself what what do you actually want from a studio archive and obviously one of the things you want are the tapes that were produced there but they've kind of come into my possession from various sources over the years and I've just kept them sat in a cupboard mm. without ever thinking really about what was on them the actual archive item was the physical tape mm. and it's only in the last few years that we suddenly started thinking well What's on them is the actual archive of a recording studio. Mm. Um, but the latest batch that have come into my possession have come from the family of Nick Turnbull. Now, Nick was the guy who bought Strawberry off Peter Tattersall in 1986. Sadly passed away a few years ago. Uh, but um, his family have been very kind in searching out Strawberry items that um, their dad had. And in a lockup, in Failsworth in Manchester mm -hmm. were these few tapes so um, rather than just have them as nice looking physical items I've turned to you as the sound guru and rescue <laughs> of tapes guru by um, to see what actually because I'm actually finding it more interesting now to hear what's on them because mm. um, in some it's just the reproduction 
of what you've always heard, but there's always those little chances of hearing something that you've not heard before, as we got with the Revlon ad, mm -hmm. and as we'll hear later with some other things as well. <laughs> so, uh, so they've come from various sources, but I just think now is the time to try and find out what's on all these tapes that have just sat there for 20, 30 years. Mm. And there'll be more tapes. There are more tapes lying around somewhere that need to be brought together into one collection, a proper tape archive mm. of Strawberry. The only thing that stops it, um, or can stop it, is that some there is some doubt about who owns and who actually has the rights to these tapes. So what a grey area that is. Who owns that sound? <laughs> Record company, band, studio, us. Us. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's the archive though, isn't it? So yes. uh, then, yeah, so uh, wildly excited to hear what we might be hearing later on. So far we've listened to the first batch of tapes um, that Peter was, was kind enough to send down to me many moons ago actually because we, we planned to get together much sooner than this haven't we but here we are three days after Freedom Day yeah. he said with not a, not a, a, not a, a touch of irony and um, so these were the first ones I baked I baked them a couple of days ago in in the that, that now famous food dehumidifier that we uh, that we put to good use up in Manchester back at Christmas time um, so we, we've kind of treated these as a, as a little taster. Um, in fact, Liam, if I can pass you the tape boxes, perhaps you can tell us what's, uh, what, what they promise. Let me come on. Well, so the first one I think is, was a first generation copy um, from Strawberry Mastering of Dreadlock Holiday mm. um, and the B-side, Nothing Can Move Me. So this is, this is dated 16th of June. 1978. So again, just for the the single release when it came out about a month month later as a single, mm. and um, I mean listening to this last night um, <laughs> was astonishing because you know hearing a first generation copy straight from the studio and obviously Sean in his man cave has got a phenomenal music set up here with amazing speakers and it was almost like. I guess as close as you probably could get to hearing what it would have been like in the studio yeah, when they big, recorded it. Ugly brown speakers, yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, sort of details of the record that you know, even though it's so you know it's been around a long time, hearing new things mm. in the mix, mm. and also that sort of the, the sort of sonic range of the depth of the bass and the high frequency stuff as well. So that's a, that was an absolute treat that we listened to um, last night. I'm delighted to say that uh, even though we we. We dearly missed Paul yesterday. Uh, we've managed to hook up the day after Paul, very, very early in the morning. Um, yeah, welcome back to the podcast, Paul McNulty. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it is, it is very early, isn't it? It's uh, well, the sun is up, of course, but it's uh, it's uh, what time is it? It's a quarter to six in the morning, but yeah. um, I think I'm awake enough. I'll surely I'll, <laughs> I'll be awake shortly when I hear some of this stuff. Oh yeah, crikey, you, you really will after. Quite an incredible 24 hours uh, yesterday. Liam, Peter and I just had the most incredible day. Um, some of these tapes are um, amazing. And I've never heard 10cc sound better. But uh, it really was an amazing day. And I wish you'd have been there, Paul. But we've got the next best thing here. Here we are on Zoom. And I'm going to share a few bits and pieces with you. Yeah, can't wait. Let's go. <laughs> OK, brilliant. 
Let's talk about the, the mystery well. tape. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you talk about lollipop. Well, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is a, a, a little sort of black uh, reel. It's only like a, a five-inch tape, um, but it was a bit mysterious, it wasn't was it, the Peter? Box. Did the box say lollipop or was it on the... Yes, actual, it was on yeah, the, the spine of the box. It just said lollipop, which meant nothing to anyone, apart from when Sean did uh, Google research <laughs> and found that Metal Mickey, that well-known 90s... 80s, 90s, 90s yeah. I think um, 80s, 80s uh, TV character had produced a record called Lollipop. So we were waiting <laughs> for Metal Mickey, but it turned into just a short TV theme sounding like version of My Boy Lollipop. Mm. Was it My Girl Lollipop? I don't know which lollipop, one it was. Lollipop, lollipop, no, lollipop. Yeah. Yeah. In a kind of a big band arrangement. Yeah, it was, yeah, so it, it sounded just like a TV theme or jingle which I've got no idea what it was or who did it. I think it was the Sid Lawrence Orchestra. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. It could be. It's got sort of that flavour. Yeah, it's that kind of flavour. But um, and did did you say that you, we think it's the eighties? It sounded eighties to me. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And the box looks, even though there's nothing on it that marks it, mm. it kind of looks eighties-ish. But um, perhaps if somebody hears it and recognises it from some long lost TV program, then uh, maybe they'll tell us. Yeah, absolutely. This is an old favourite of ours. I hope it's all yours. It goes something like this. You 
So that's the same as living at yes. live, isn't it? Yeah. So you reckon Liam, you were saying that that was a single in the states? It was released as the single to promote it in the states, and I guess it was because Wall Street Shuffle should have been a massive hit, shouldn't it, in the states? Yeah. But wasn't, and this was a great opportunity to try again. But obviously, the original recording is owned by Jonathan King, whereas this is owned by mm. uh, Phonogram. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I really like it. I mean, I say. I, Sometimes it doesn't necessarily I like it work now, out, but we've got the tape. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think it's a great version. That, that, yeah. That's actually the same. They recorded the video of the, of the last um, concert on that tour. Yes. At Hammersmith, and that that is that version because right. you can you can sync it together. But uh, yeah. I think Tony O'Malley's keyboard stuff on that is pretty amazing. It's lovely, and yeah. doesn't it sound solid? Mm. Yeah. yeah. When we Definitely. hear it like this. Definitely. Yeah. Sh yeah sharp and, and really it's got oomph. Mm. I love it. Mm. So what does it say on the tape box there Liam? It says uh, Wall Street Shuffle live uh, dated the 3rd of January 1978. It's from the IBC studios sort of mastering 13. It's from their close compadre Melvin Abrahams obviously was the master, the master engineer of all of their records and yes. would go on to be the managing director of Strawberry mastering when they set that up. Yeah, which was within a year of that. Yeah. By the end of 78, 79, Strawberry mastering. And yeah. Strawberry mastering is the, the place um, sort of around Victoria area right. of, of London. Westminster, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Strutton ground. Yeah. And Peter, you were saying something about the, the relationship or lack of relationship between Strawberry yeah, mastering so and. The only actual connection was Rick Dixon, who was obviously a shareholder in Strawberry, and he went into business. Um, I can't remember who with, but one of the big pools, magnets, I can't remember which one, there was a couple, um, to set up Strawberry Mastering, to kind of finish off the process, and they kept the name, obviously, Strawberry, because it kind of signified something, yeah. but no actual connection between the studio and the mastering. Right, Scott, I, I had no idea, I just thought they were part of the same mm. operation. Well, I suppose Rick and Kennedy Street tied them together in yes. that respect. So. Yeah. And massively, we should say, massively successful strawberry mastering in oh, those yeah. first years. Yeah. I mean, beyond anything else, I mean, literally any record, but I mean, everybody used strawberry mastering in those first few years. I don't know why no. it eventually ran out of steam. Yeah, I mean, it was quite opulent, I believe. Um, you know, a lot of very sophisticated equipment yeah. looked the part. Yeah. And you look for those records that have either strawberry in the yeah. run out uh, track or. Melly's. Melly's, so, yeah. yeah. So, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we see his name pop up on a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff, don't yeah, we? Yeah. yeah. 
That sounds great. Mm, that was good. Yeah, yeah I like that version. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the biggest treat we had last night of this this first batch of tapes um, w turned out to be slightly different from what we were expecting. Liam, can you read what it says on that box? Yeah, I mean this is a this is a real treat. This is this is a box from Strawberry Recording Studios um, itself. It's not it's not dated, but. Um, it's in Eric's handwriting. You can see that. So that's a that's a sort of treat to sort of see this in this format. And it says Master Mix for Demonstration Records. And the title is I'm Not in Love. And then it's got the uh, the publisher and the composer's sort of details on it. So so my, my assumption there was that it was going to be uh, a copy of the the, the single master, the, mm -hmm. the finished version. Yeah. Uh, that they, they could play as a demo for people coming into the studio, you know, so they could show off the, the, the brilliance of, of the recording facilities. Well, we'll let you folks be the judge of that. I 
only ever heard that middle bit uh, as part of the record producers program with uh, Steve Levine I think talking yep. us through the, the, the master tape so have we ever heard the full version of that? No, never been heard before never been heard before, first time uh, Unbelievable and when it started playing I, I, you know, confession time I, I was a bit disappointed with the sound quality because it sounded a bit mm. thin and a bit weedy and middly um, as if it was like a, I don't know, a third generation copy or something. And then I realised that this is a blooming demo. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's for me, it's, a, it's uh, I mean, it was, it was a real surprise, wasn't it? Because we, we weren't expecting, and then suddenly that, that comes in. Yeah. And hearing it again in the, in the sort of quality that you've got, you've got here. For me, it's fascinating because it's, you can see completely why they didn't they took it out because there's just too much going on in that middle section you yeah. know with the vocal and the bass and the big boys don't cry mm -hmm. and the words as we know they rejected them because they weren't very good words and mm -hmm. beyond not being very good words it also completely cuts the irony of the song because it yes. almost gives the game away punctures the, the yeah. that, that tension the whole it? thing so yeah. You know, another genius move on their behalf to sort of strip it out and back, but to have, you know, my favourite record of all time, <laughs> you know, to have a new variation on it and hear it like that for the first time is just, just incredible. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the thing that really struck me was the, the power of Graham's bass. Mm -hmm. And it sounds completely re-recorded from, you know, on the, the final version. And uh, during the middle eight, it's quite rhythmic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think Paul and I were talking about that many, many moons ago, about the bass lines seeming to have a kind of a funky quality. And that kind of proved it last night. Mm -hmm. um, but towards the end of the song, the bass was... Yeah, on the bridge. Oh, God, it was brilliant. And that's never been heard before, because that was never played on the no. uh, yeah. record producer's programme. So just hearing those little details for the first time. Incredibly powerful. And, and fading out early as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know whether, whether that was their, their original intention to fade it out or whether they, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was gobsmacked by that. And so already we're, you know, we're, we're what, a third of the way through our tapes and um, we've, we've peaked already. We've peaked so early, perhaps. <laughs> Goodness. Wow. Isn't that a wonderful uh, treasure find? What a privilege to be able to hear our four heroes, what, how could you say, almost at the summit of their Everest, but not quite, <laughs> you know, just just about to... Well, this is fascinating because you say they describe it as a track where everything they add works and makes it better. Mm. But here, they're about to take something away, aren't they? Yes. Which makes it better. Mm. Um, um, I mean, this a v- part of this version, I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners will have heard because those extra song lyrics that that Eric sings, uh, don't feel let down, don't get hung up, etc. They appeared on the record producer's um, show. Yes, we, we, um, men- we mentioned that yesterday and uh, I think Steve Levine is, uh, was privileged enough to have that tape at the time, wasn't he? Yes, that, that's right. Or, well, he was going from the multi-track, I suppose. Um, but we're hearing an actual work in progress mix here, aren't we? Where those yes. elements are still are still involved in the track. Um, but nonetheless, I don't think anybody's ever or outside that those circles anybody's ever heard that track all the way through. And well, it, it's funny, hear- funny, Paul. Actually, um, I, yesterday I found a six-minute version um, mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so it has been out before. Right. But uh, but there are there are other things different, aren't there, about this? Well, please please explain. I'm, well, I'm... the thing that struck us and and listening in the man cave at at, um, at sort of ear crushing volume, which was mm. just so pleasurable. What what <laughs> struck us most about this was the bass. Graham's bass solo is actually kind of in time with the rhythm track on this version, um, and you get the sense of that doop 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 mm. doop doo doo being much more rhythmic than it than it appears on the final version and also slightly later in the in the song graham is playing uh, is busier on the bass and it, it looks like he completely wiped those parts and and redid them ah well might be worth doing an a b because i wonder whether are you absolutely sure that the the main bass solo isn't actually the same or in the same place and when the rest of the music's taken out it feels like it's changed to a different rhythm yeah that that could be that could be it but certainly later in the song they may well have just faded graham's bass down in the mix or taken it out of the mix Um, yeah but but, 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 yeah the second half is definitely uh, to my ears paul sounds very very different indeed i'm i missed there was something missing that um I, i meant to take a a note of the timing i think it was about 335 Right at the end of the middle section, there's a big dying downbeat on either electric piano or something. Did mm. you spot that? Seemed to be missing, as if to no, really punch. No, but I'm, I, I shall I shall dive straight that straight into I that. I think I spotted that. And why the fade out? Yes, I know. Um, I mean, um, because that the fade is one of the magical parts of the song. <laughs> yeah. But but this was the, uh, to me, it seems like an attempt at a, a, at a, a finished version that was radio friendly. Yeah, I think they, I think your your theory there could well be correct. They may have considered it finished 
until they realised they could make it even better by pairing it back. And it really, I mean, well, OK, I don't think that, yes, those words don't really work. I mean, from what I can remember, Eric and Graham, even at the time when they were writing those words to the middle, didn't really like it, but they sort of put it in because they, they couldn't figure out what to do with it. And... Um, and, and uh, before they realised that what they got with those words was a wonderful melody um, yeah. that, that would be better served uh, played on a piano. I've always been fascinated by the relationship between that the four-note melody and the way it appears in the Ooh, You'll Wait a Long Time for me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, the, those two bits of music don't seem connected, but there, there it is, again, mm -hmm. playing a counter melody in the, in the second middle eight. Who knows? I mean, they've talked so much about this song, and we've discussed it so much. <laughs> Some things will never quite be known, but <laughs> it's uh, it is incredible to hear that. Absolutely, it, it is. Um, and another, uh, I think, that um, a, a marked difference is a shyness with the reverb and delay on on Eric's vocal on this version. Okay, right. Uh, whereas right. For, for the for the final thing, I think they, you know, in a purple patch, they just they turn the knob about ninety degrees to the right. And, uh, right. and and much better for it, I thought. On the, on yeah, the... I'm not in love. Yeah, at the end I mean, there. I mean, there is that effect on the end, but oh, it, is it? It, okay. it's it's hugely more more prominent on the on right. the final record. Right. But uh, yeah, how wonderful! Have a look down that list, Paul, and um, tell me what you fancy having a listen to next. There's an obvious one. Uh, in fact, it can only be this. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Gizmo sales talk. And uh, we, we're not sure when this would have been. Um, I was kind of uh, erring on the side of 76. And I'll explain my, my thinking behind that once you've had a listen. Liam thought it might have been 74. Uh, cop an ear full of this, Paul. Come on, Lawrence. <laughs> The guitar you have been listening to is fitted with a gizmo. The gizmo is a unique and important development for the guitar player. 
In essence, it allows the player unlimited sustain on any string or combination of strings. The facility is small, light and robust. It isn't an electronic device and therefore the sound it produces is not electronic in character. It is the natural sound of a string instrument that the musician can feel. As a chord instrument, one gizmo can replace an organ, a mellotron or even a six-piece string section. <laughs> and it's a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> it has few working parts and can be manufactured to retail for less than $100. It's battery operated and easy to play. It does not hinder the guitar player's normal style and can be fitted to any make or shape of guitar and easily removed, leaving only a simple bass plate. It does not put the guitar out of tune or cause undue wear to the strings, nor does it hamper the changing of strings. The gizmo is not a gimmick. It gives the guitar player of any style, no matter what his role in a group, a vast new range of sounds from which to draw inspiration. Here is a piece of music featuring the gizmo played with a bottleneck. It's blue guitar. Gizmo can be used in conjunction with all the electronic accessories and gimmicks now available. Here is another example of the Gizmo's versatility. suddenly my favourite tape of the day. Oh, I'd love to have seen your face when you first heard that. <laughs> it was wow. Jaw, jaw wide, you know, wide open, Paul, listening to that yesterday. I love that. This, for me, was, was the find of the day. Yeah, I can see why. Uh, Lowell 
Nobody could ever make that gizmo sing like Lowell, could they? (laughs) Which was, they probably didn't realise that. They had this incredible invention, but you actually, it seemed like you actually needed Lowell to come with the gizmo in in a box so he could play it, because only Lowell could play it so beautifully. That's it. It Incredible sounds. And there's a range of sounds on there, Paul, that we don't even hear on Consequences. Yeah. On YouTube... There yeah. is this 1970 Godly and Cream Gizmo demo record. I wonder if this was the flexi disc. Yeah, it's got all the American actor on it. There's an American voice on one, I think so. Because I, I thought that was Kevin initially, but that might be Lowell. Do you think? Oh, yeah, but with a sli- so. yeah, 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 slightly yeah. American accent yeah, he's putting yeah. on, isn't there? That was yeah. amazing. Range of yeah. orchestral effects from your guitar. No, it's not the same we just listened to. I think that's I think that's like um, the company, you know, when they did the Gizmotron. Yeah. So what? So what? The flexi disc that came out with the Gizmo. Yeah. Originally, which I'm not sure I've actually listened to. Yeah. Did is that? Isn't it? Isn't that? Is it, it that? Yeah, not I think that. So. No, definitely not that. So I think this is like '74 or something. Right, okay. So this is something they've just done to get people involved because okay. yeah, because it was before Blue Guitar was released. That was 74, wasn't it? I that don't know, maybe 76. Blue Guitar was earlier than that. Blue, Blue Guitar was recorded in 74 and then yeah. released in 75. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking that, that, that I think that the gizmo wasn't capable of producing that range of sounds earlier right. on. Right. And I think in 76 it finally kind of reached okay. its peak, right. I think. And that to me sounded like a, you know, sort of a, a slightly upgraded... Right. Gizmo, perhaps one that, that John McConnell had uh, right. had helped develop. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. I think the earlier version here on Old Wild Men and stuff is much more primitive. But that was incredible, the sound. Mm. Yeah. But the blue guitar Gizmo stuff would have been recorded in 74, like yes. that. Yes. So some of it was... Yeah. Uh, yeah. incredible. Well, what's fascinating for me about that is that you know, in my mind, Consequences was this demonstration record for the Gizmo, but yes. actually they'd mm. had a couple of attempts at making a demonstration record. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted an even more ambitious one mm. than that. Yeah. It's like a prototype Consequences mm. in the spirit of it, originally. Really? Mm. And that, I love that drum machine that, that mm. we're here on um, Film of My Love. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, sort of bossa nova sort of wonderful. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, that's, a, that's a version of blue guitar that no one would have heard before. Mm. It, it sounded like it a brings, demo or something, didn't it? it or was bring, it just a remix? Well, when they originally recorded it, they recorded it with the gizmo. Yeah. And then when it came out 18 months later, Tony Clark got involved and they put a string, proper string section on it. But the original right. version has the gizmo on it, but they've obviously lifted it. Right, yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's more audible, but yeah. no one would have heard that version mm. before. God, extraordinary stuff. Mm. Part of the first bit sounded a little bit like Old Wild Men. I'm sure you picked that up. Yes, very much so. And and Seascape, I thought. Right. I wonder whether... It's funny. I mean, this is like... Eric and Graham would probably have loved this to be consequences. Yes. You know, like 10 minutes of beautifully demonstrated gizmo playing. You've got it out of your system, boys. <laughs> right, let's get back to making the album number five. But, yep. you know, obviously Kevin Lowell didn't think like that thankfully mm. um but uh yeah i like uh kevin veering into received pronunciation there Quite. <laughs> yes and and throwing in a bit of cheeky um transatlantic as well yeah i, I to, love it when he said oh it's uh, it's cheap as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know yeah uh wow but i mean the, the musical pieces pieces are lovely aren't they fantastic Absolutely. especially that last sequence 
that could well have been a show a showpiece tune on L or something. Yeah, stunning and be- wonderful quality and yeah. On that tape box, does it? It just says Gizmo sales talk. Uh, what yeah, does it G- say? Gizmo so? sales talk. That that's literally all that that's written on there. Gizmo spelt with an S, as in Gizmo my way. And I think that was one of the clues that. Um, Maybe that influenced Liam thinking that it was yes. from '74, yes. but from my point of view, um, I think the '76 model was more sophisticated than the '74 model. Uh, but I'm I'm not sure about that one, and I'm not sure that the early Gizmo would have been able to create all those sounds. Uh, yeah, I can't remember when they they swapped to the the famous Consequences model. Pete, one of Peter or Liam would know, and that might have been factoring into his thinking as well. Yes. They did swap, didn't they, between like the use of it on Old Wild Men and... Yeah, John McConnell, that, John McConnell redeveloped it, didn't he? Yes, he came on board after that, but before Consequences, didn't he? So mm-hmm. that, yeah, that might be where yeah. that and theory I'm not, comes from. And I'm not sure that around the time of Old Wild Men, the gizmo would have been a, any kind of saleable product yes agreed yeah mm. yeah but uh yeah we'll never know but that adds to the mystery but i think that's a, an extraordinary tape well it's been an exceptional day I, I, i'm sort of i'm sitting here quite numb really now yeah no fair enough and you've still got consequences to go as well oh god yes you're gonna say that for another day though are you? <laughs> you're gonna... I, I couldn't possibly no. face more baking today no. so anyway folks we, we really hope you've enjoyed <laughs> the experience as much as, as no I'll put it another way we know you won't have ex- enjoyed this experience as much as we have mm. um, I, I wish you could have all been here um, to hear it so loud um, it's been a real privilege for us to, to be able to sit in this room with, with these actual tapes and, and hear them pretty much as they would have sounded 40-50 years ago it's um, incredible um, thanks so much Peter Pleasure, thank you. And Liam, it's been great to have you too. Thanks for having me, it's been brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, folks. See you soon. You've been listening to the Consequences podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Thanks for listening. Hello again, folks. Here's just a really short postscript just to bring you up to date a few extra bits and pieces we've got since we recorded the pod. We heard back from Kevin Godley and his feedback is very short but really interesting. He says about the sales talk about the gizmo, he says, It's very good, but I can't make out if it's lol or me talking. We both had a distinct mank twang back then and it seems to slip between the two of us. Weird, he says. And um, I agree, and I say that uh, we all assumed it was Kevin. Then when I suggested it might be lol, I was shouted down. There's a lol twang in the way words like you and to and produced are pronounced. And apologies for that sort of imitation accent. And I said to Kevin, it sounds like him doing the dodgy American accent on um, it's a hell of a lot cheaper gag. Um, And Kevin agrees, and he says, we did merge like that. Two halves of the same voice. Yikes. Now that's really interesting, isn't it? Uh, I guess we'll, we'll never know for sure. Um, 
the rest of the chaps are 100% that it's Kevin. I'm kind of 90%. And I've got a sneaky suspicion that Lol might be doing the sort of middle bit of dialogue. But we shall see. A couple of other bits for you. I'm delighted to say that we're going to be sharing some really high quality audio with you via the shared goodies folder. Now that's open for subscribers to the podcast and you'll notice that in the blurb of this pod there's a link to our premium content. Now there are a few premium pods already out there, uh, not many, um, but what it does give you is access to the shared folder that's already got hundreds of, of bits and pieces in rare stuff, live recordings, etc. Um, and what I'll be doing is with a new folder is as we kind of release these new tape recordings in a pod, a day or two later, what I'll be doing is, is sharing those audio files in this folder as 16-bit CD quality, 24-bit kind of Blu-ray quality, but also really high quality MP3s as well. So what I'd say is is try and grab your best pair of headphones and give yourself a real treat. Uh, and again, that, that link will be in the blurb to this pod. Now, finally, I'd like to leave you with something that Paul asked for earlier on in this pod. Uh, he asked for A-B comparisons of the final finished mix of I'm Not In Love and the demo version that we've had our hands on this week. Um, and it's thrown up some interesting comparisons. And what you'll hear here is three brief snippets. There's the middle section, the kind of chorus bridge, and the outro. And what it threw up was, was some big differences, I think, in the mix. In the left-hand channel, you'll hear the demo. In the right-hand channel, you'll hear the finished version. And in the middle section, clearly the obvious difference is that we lose Eric's sung part. But I hear big differences in the mix. The loops seem to be quieter on the demo, you know, those lovely vocal loops. But the bass and piano seem to be quite a bit louder. And in the chorus bridge, you'll hear that the bass is quite a bit louder. You'll remember that earlier in the pod, my gut feel was that the bass had been re-recorded, but the fact that these bass parts here seem to be perfectly in sync, um, that seems to indicate that Graham didn't re-record them, they're just louder. On the outro, for me, you, you hear much more of that kind of echoing, distorted delay on Eric's voice than you do on the original demo. The big difference though, and this was really puzzling for me, was that when I tried to sync the two versions together, the demo version was running quite a bit quicker than the finished. And uh, it, it puzzled me that, and it's about 1% faster, um, which means it's, it's a higher pitch and, and shorter. Now, that can be for a number of reasons. Either my tape machine is, is running 1% too fast, which I don't think it is, the other explanation is that Eric might have mastered the demo slightly sharp compared with, with the final version. Or, and here's the weird thing, and this kind of harks back to what Eric Baumgartner said on the pod where we were talking about One Night in Paris. Do you remember he said that it's not at concert pitch, it's about half a semitone out. Now, could it be possible that I'm Not In Love was mastered too slow, slightly flat? I guess we're going to need someone like Eric with that perfect pitch uh, or some way of measuring it to tell us one way or the other. 
So, all interesting. Um, and uh, I think I've geeked out too much. You've heard too much of my voice. Uh, and I need a good lie down now. <laughs> but uh, we'll see you over the next two or three weeks, folks, with loads more fantastic revelations on these tapes. Um, I'm sure you'll really enjoy what else we've got to share with you. But for the time being, take care and we'll see you really soon. Thank mm-hmm. you.